Welcome to the Pink Tax Podcast, a no-nonsense podcast for millennial women, building wealth and smashing the patriarchy, one dollar at a time, with your hosts, Janine and Tara. Because apparently the millionaires and billionaires are super concerned right now. Excellent. Yeah. So have you read the Millionaires Against Pitchfork's letter? No. Yeah. It came out in Davos. You know when they all like get together and like talk about Wait, who are the millionaires and who are the billionaires? Like who are these people? Like they are the one percent. Okay. The one percent. So they go to the World Economic Forum and they talk about stuff that really only benefits like countries institutional investors and like the super wealthy super wealthy um so yeah so a bunch of them uh nameless wrote this open letter to the fellow millionaires and billionaires and i really like the opening line there are two kinds of wealthy people in the world those who prefer taxes and those who prefer pitchforks Oh, wow. Yeah. So they've started to notice that there's a lot of global unrest. Um, People are starting to realize that there's a lot of social, uh, financial um, inequities, like, all over the globe. And they're starting to get scared. Not that I want anyone to think scared. I really, or, or to feel scared. I really don't feel like the millionaires are, like, and billionaires are like super bad people that are like ha 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 like we're gonna destroy the planet i don't think so i'd like to not think so but basically it seems like they're operating from a place where they're out for themselves first and they're perpetuating that kind of thought process and that means that there's a bunch of folks that will go without so those who prefer taxes, are, are they're saying that they, they prefer taxing the rich? Yeah, so they prefer taxes over pitchforks, which means they want to be pay, they want to be paying more tax so that basically people like us don't rise up and revolt. Eat the like, rich? It, basically, like the French Revolution yeah. all over again. I always say eat the rich. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what they're saying. They're kind of like... What so the, yeah. what what did they do they prefer the taxes or did they prefer the pitchforks? The people writing this letter would prefer the taxes. That's so they're good. saying okay. right now there's there's a lot of zeros here. Oh boy. So there's yeah, hundreds, thousands, millions, millions billions, trillions. So that would be eight do you wanna check that? Eight trillion dollars hidden in tax havens i'm honestly i'm i've read this a couple of times i'm pretty sure it's eight trillion thousands millions billions trillions yeah yeah eight trillion eight trillion that's been audited eyes of an auditor perfect almost 10 percent of the world's uh gdp that's insane is inaccessible so like i think i've mentioned it a couple of times where like sometimes the way we've set up um wealth distribution and, I mean, I don't know, money. Basically, 
the distribution of money um, in our society through regulation and through taxes just incentivizes people once they have it to just hoard the shit out of it and like that doesn't help anybody if you look at it from like a super capitalist conservative lens you're not allowing the money to get back into the system so you're creating problems but right? people always say trickle down economics and and i think we've proven that, was, that trickle down economics does not work that's fake unless you give people a reason to actually pass on the funds if you make it better for the individual to keep that money of course you're going to keep it i would keep it there's nothing to to tell you not to except altruism like except for the the love of your neighbor and like these people have probably i would imagine never related to a poor person they've never related to someone who's like living in working poverty right like they might feel for somebody in another country i i assume right like everyone gets their heartstrings tugged on that and they might donate some money to like provide water to somebody in another country but they don't really don't think about the people in their own country in their own state in their own city the single mom who has to work three jobs to just keep right? a roof over her house for her, or her kids or... so like eight trillion dollars if that was captured in the global economy like don't even give it to governments if you just like put it back in the system or even some of it it's not even like you need to put all of it in yeah so um anyway i'm kind of glad that that's coming about and I mean, really, I'm here for the taxes. How many millionaires and billionaires and gajillionaires ended up signing the the letter? I don't know. I don't think anybody actually put their name to it. It's just kind of like an anonymous letter. Who does it go to? They just published it to the world, I guess. Yeah, and everybody at the World Economic Forum... I guess it's by a group. Patriotic millionaires said that tax avoidance and tax evasion have reached epidemic proportions, which is true. So we're at a greater point of income and wealth inequality than we were back in, like, like forever. Like, literally forever. Like, yes, we wouldn't have access to, like, water and food and all the things that our innovations and technology have provided but in terms of like wealth distribution people living in like serfdoms were closer to kings and queens than we are right now to billionaires and millionaires and when i say billionaires and millionaires i don't mean that you have a million dollars when you retire i mean like that you have shit 900 is, million dollars it's what you're getting every day yeah and I think that that's exactly it is probably our our tax jurisdictions haven't kept up to the, the rise of all of these digital companies and mm-hmm. and I don't know necessarily how they are taxing them on a global standpoint, but it's probably not equitable. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yeah, that's exactly like when, you know, I think it's funny when people are always like, oh, you know, the American dream or the Canadian dream or whatever. Like if you just work hard, you're going to make money. You're never going to make a billion dollars ever. You will never make enough money just by working hard to get $1 billion. Maybe a million, but again, you're not talking about millionaires. You're not even talking about people who have under $10 million. You're probably talking about in the three-digit millions. Oh, yes, yes. This is like 900 plus million, guys. Like, 
you just don't quite qualify as billionaire. You probably, like, keep your money invested a little bit longer and you'll get there, person with $900 million. Um, but yeah, and I mean, it's it's just a real shame to see um, people dying due to lack of water, medicines, um, basic public services that that keep our cities clean like those kind of things and then to have eight trillion dollars just sitting there that could just for fun literally solve the problem in um the current system that oh, we i'm sure it in. could solve the poverty issue i'm sure it could solve lots of health care issues that we have in many jurisdictions and i actually just pulled up the letter and i thought <laughs> what was interesting is they're actually urging you, whoever you happens to be, before it's too late to demand to demand higher and fairer taxes on millionaires and billionaires within your own countries to help mm-hmm. prevent individual and corporate tax avoidance and evasion through international tax reform efforts. Yeah. So that's their call to action. They want people to yeah kind of wake up and realize that if we tax the rich, like nothing's mm-hmm. probably gonna happen. I mean, Warren Buffett's been saying it for years. I mean, when I say nothing's going to happen, I mean the billionaires are still going to be able to afford their helicopters. Yeah. The impact to their lifestyle, and, like, no offense, like, I'm sure you really enjoy having $16 million cars, but, like, the impact to your lifestyle of, like, losing one of those cars or losing a small percentage of your compounding wealth returns or the compounding returns on your wealth would mean the difference between a poor child dying. And I just don't like, I guess I just don't like Lamborghinis that much. How do you sleep at night would be my question. Like, I mean, uh, you know, they're probably not thinking about it, but like when you actually are, you know, when you've woken up enough and you, you start to realize what that cost actually is, as people, I think we have to demand more. Well, and I think, well, we do, because I think the rhetoric that we've all been sold and we've obviously bought into it as well is that these people earning that much money, they're job creators. They're giving this back in terms of wages. But they're not. They're hiding $8 trillion of it. Correct. Yeah. And also, you know, maybe paying people minimum wage and saying, well, at least they have a job. Um, They might be donating to a bunch of different societies and scholarships. But the thing is, even when a billionaire decides to donate to one music foundation, a kid is still dying because it wasn't distributed equitably. And I have a background in music, so as much as I think that's an important part of our society, it's not worth somebody dying. Yeah, and I mean, just scrolling down on this letter a little bit more, they said conservatively $8 trillion, yeah. but they also said this is money sitting in empty corporate shells with no real business activities. So you can't make yes. the argument that it is providing jobs because it's simply just not or scholarships or donations or anything it's just literally sitting there it's just sitting there well and I mean I was speaking to more like how do you sleep at night everybody I think like at the end of the day thinks that they're a good person and I do think that people are inherently good and want to be good but they don't necessarily see the repercussions of our actions right like if I were to litter on the street I'm probably not going to see the repercussions of it because I'm not going to walk down that street anymore right? Otherwise I wouldn't have littered on it in the first place. It's not where I live. And that's kind of the same for these guys, right? Like this is not a part of their world, but it has, 
serious impacts on everybody's world. Um, so I really liked um, how they brought up the, the pitchforks thing, and I do really think time, it's time that um, people started speaking up about this, educating themselves on this. And I think that's kind of the point of this Pink Tax podcast. Like, if we don't shine a light on this stuff, and if we don't start to um, be angry about it and educate ourselves about it and how we can operate in the system that we have, and then also ask for more, we're never going to get it. So I kind of wanted to do today like an overview of like women in finance and how long we've actually been interacting with our own money and what it took for us to uh, gain those rights. And it's not like somebody gave them to us. Like I really hate when I see like men, white men gave you this. White men have not given anybody shit. Everyone has literally clawed tooth and nail and fought and died and bled for this. So nobody gave us, gave us shit. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to keep fighting. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, that's a great point to make because, you know, if, if they had just treated people equal, then we wouldn't need to give anybody anything and we wouldn't have, no one would have needed yeah. to die. Yeah. So, like, yeah, if the most powerful class in whatever way you want to look at this, if they had just, like, looked at another person and been like, you're a person, just like me, we wouldn't be where we are. But here we are. So. Where are we? Where have we come from? Tell us, Tara. <sighs> where have we come Women. And we're going to talk about, like, white women specifically because a lot of the, the statistics and stuff out there, it's just for white ladies. We're both white ladies and clearly, like, the most privileged subset of the women's subset and yeah I mean anytime in feminism that things were fought for it basically the white ladies got it and then they were like yeah okay cool pack it up we're done so it's gonna be pretty depressing from my side of it do you disagree no no I don't I just it's that's just a funny way of, of putting it but I totally I agree you know yeah. we've been afforded a lot of of privileges that you know we have fought for but I think there's still a lot of work to do still from the people of color perspective from people mm -hmm. who maybe aren't heterosexual so I think it's it's important to keep that lens on on things as well yeah so basically like women have been participating in the economy or um, before let's say people labeled it the economy how the community was able to survive and operate women have been a part of that forever absolutely forever active roles active participants whether it be through child rearing that gets like a huge focus on it but also through like things like clothing other people you know being um involved in day-to-day -day industries it just all this kind of stuff from a european perspective got labeled as like women's work and then sort of got taken out of the economy as soon as we started looking at money and putting values on things and they started thinking eh, ladies can just do this shit for free so women have been paid and working since forever but it wasn't until 1964 in canada that a lady would be able to open up a bank account without her husband's signature so again if we want to just like start at canadian colonialism We've been earning money this entire damn time, but it's never been ours. 
yeah, that's, you know, just over 50 years, not quite 60. Yeah. So many of our parents are yeah. older than that and would have yeah. had it so that, you know, when they were born, they like, not that you can really open a bank account when you're born, but if they had been of the age to work or what have you, they would not have been able yeah. to open a bank account. So let's say you're a 20-year-old lady and you're working in 1963, because it wasn't 1964 that they could do it on their own. That money went into your dad's account, your husband's account, or you cashed it out and like carried like money around with you. And not that much too, because there was like a great quote from like Newfoundland fin- fisheries where like, women are great. They're like two men for less than the price of one. It's just sickening. 1964. That's super recent. We've yeah. been managing our own finances since 1964. I just don't know why you would look at that and not think like, yeah, they're probably going to be a little bit behind the dudes. Yeah, I mean, when you actually take a look at the the date on that, and I had never dug into that date, it makes sense that, you know, women may not have known as much as men when it comes to financial literacy simply because they didn't have access to their own money. And, you know, even when they did, I'm sure it wasn't like, as soon as 1964 hit, all women opened their own bank account. I'm sure there were a lot of women that were still in relationships that Mm -hmm. did still deposit their their income into their husband's or their father's bank account. Yeah. And um, so prior to 1964, white ladies could vote. White ladies had already been lawyers. White ladies had already been judges. They'd been participants in the political system, even if they weren't allowed to participate in all manners of it. But at the same time, when they go home, their personal finances and the currency that we exchange for goods, for food, the stuff that keeps us alive, was controlled by men in their life. How do you ever get a divorce then in that situation, right? Like You don't. Well, exactly. That's, yeah, it was yeah. a rhetorical question. But yeah. it's, it's insane to think about that. I mean, and even if you think, like, how do you get a divorce... What happens if your husband or father dies? Like, that was also another hard-fought right that I think people have forgotten about is, like, we had to fight tooth and nail just to be, like, we're people. We don't have to be wards of our parents or, well, our fathers and husbands. Um, We're not perpetual children and and all that kind of stuff. And then... Given that interplay, there's been barriers to women's education, which I think that we've talked about quite a bit. And a little while ago, on one of the previous episodes, you asked me about who paid for my education. And I have a weird thing about it because I was the first person in my family to go to pro-secondary, so it just meant a lot to me on a variety of levels that I do this for myself and, like, for my family, I guess, without having my husband, who's a white dude, like, I don't know, help me with it, I guess, pay for it, treat me like a child. Like, I don't know. There was, there was an emotion that I carried with it that not, yeah. I understand that not every woman is going to, but that's what but I It was something at. that was important to you to do for yourself. And I think that yeah. that's, at the end of the day, there, you don't need to justify that to anyone and nor does the other way around need to justify yeah. it to anyone because, again, personal finance is personal and, you know, the emotions that people carry with that are individual to what we go through yeah and I think like back in the day when ladies were property and controlled through personal finance and all that kind of stuff 
you could pay to have your wife or your daughter like have secondary education and do all that kind of stuff but they were never expected to earn a living off of it and when you look at it's been really so few decades since that was the case and when you look at the cost of education for ladies and then the amount that we actually make when we go out into the workforce that dynamic and that thought um, or that underlying assumption is still at play that yeah it's nice but someone else probably paid for it and it's just window dressing and they're not actually going to use that degree anyway because they're going to go have babies and then they're going to take themselves out of the workforce um so yeah i think there's a lot to unpack there and I think it's going to be a personal decision for every lady. But if you have a problem with somebody else paying for your education or just like not earning enough for the education that you have, like just know that that's okay. You should be angry about it. It's complete and utter bullshit. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. Yeah. And then when it comes to, you know, women's work, and we talked about like women being at a greater risk of living in poverty and there's an overrepresentation of women in lower income industries i was looking into like kind of the history of feminism and the history of like interaction of women and money and this whole like notion of gdp is just a measure that somebody came up with to see the interaction between like different countries like how do we trade with each other right what's going on and then when you look back onto like the creation of you know capitalism and the economy and stuff like that I wonder if women's work was kind of written out of that because they just didn't see the value in it so a dollar value was never like ascribed to women's work because nobody saw it and nobody cared but there's a lot of value in the work that's that women do that still go underpaid and undervalued because like we raise children predominantly because we're underpaid so we exit the workforce and then we raise the children which allows someone else to go to work so really providing free childcare. providing free childcare. when our parents age we are more likely to be the caregiver in that situation too so again a caregiver a caregiver role taking ourselves out of the workplace earning less to do that which is support that no one else will do and so it allows other people to go out and keep the economy going there's a lot of free labor, free emotional labor that goes into this unpaid work at home, um, you know, cooking, in cleaning, cooking, cleaning, doing all that kind of stuff so that somebody else can go and then, you know, do something that shows a monetary impact on the economy. But all of these things have an impact on the economy. We're yeah. doing all this other stuff and it's just not being captured. And was it just not written into the system? Was it just not built into I feel it? like it's not so... I was actually watching Pandemic over the weekend. It's on Netflix. It's like a docu-series and it's pretty good. But there's this one episode where this woman is a doctor and like she's a doctor of a rural community. And so they do 72-hour shifts for the, the doctors. So she'll go to the hospital for 72 hours. Obviously, she has a room with a bed mm-hmm. and... You know, one thing that was important, I guess, to her was that her husband, you know, come and stay with her during those 72 hours, which I thought was, oh, that's a pretty good idea. And they're showing about how she's, you know, exhausted because obviously they wake her up if something's going wrong with one mm-hmm. of the patients. And you know, the whole premise was about talking about flu season. So obviously mm-hmm. stressful time. And then they they break to this scene of her kind of cooking in, in the hospital. Like, she has this little, like, slow cooker instant pot, and she's making these tacos. And 
I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Like, I guess you probably don't want to, there's a rural community, you probably have to bring your own food and you probably want to to cook food. Maybe the cafeteria kind of sucks or it's the middle of the night or whatever. And then she goes back to the room to get her husband, who she made dinner for, while she's on her 72-hour shift. And I was, I, I, I don't even know, I had no words for it because he was just sitting there watching TV Weird. While she was cooking on her 72-hour shift that she was, like, clearly, like, she's a badass doctor and she's doing this thing to help the community. And I was just, you know, it made me think, like, you know, we've come so far, but then there are things like this where I'm just like, but also have we? Yeah, because we're still expected to do this weird amount of unpaid stuff that still just, like, needs to be done. You still need to He could have gotten off his ass and used the Instant Pot. Yeah, well, and then why, I don't know, if my husband was to do that, like, I'm sorry. Like, I need, obviously, emotional support. You're not providing it. You're not providing, like, food providing support. Yeah. (laughs) It was just, it was such a weird... situation like I had almost forgotten that the the husband you know stayed sometimes Mm -hmm. and then she goes to get him for dinner and I'm like what she's on a shift shouldn't she be resting her brain and the thing is like you could say like maybe she just like really enjoys it and maybe she does but like and maybe that's the thing that that helps her through this time is like cooking tacos for somebody else in the hospital on your 72-hour shift I don't know like probably not and also if it weren't such like a staggering portion of the lady population um that needs to do this kind of stuff for men then maybe i would buy it but i think it might be some sort of um internalized patriarchal bullshit 100 percent. like i mean you know not to pick on this woman too much because i'm sure she's lovely but she you know multiple times in the interview with her she just talked about how exhausting her 72 hour mm-hmm. shifts were like you know she didn't get very much sleep she wasn't able to take care of herself cuz she's overworked she's the only doctor yeah so like i i for sure don't buy it but i don't yeah. even know if she thought about it probably not and probably he didn't think about it either and like again i don't think it's malicious on like no, an individual no. level and i don't think these people are doing it to be necessarily perfect and maybe they are but it's because this is what we're taught to do exactly this is the role that be a good wife yeah yeah and it's it's the role that we're given like um even from early 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 days like you just hear oh women are so much better like much better at cooking or they're such good nurturers and not only does it really make the kids who just don't fit into that box feel really super shitty about themselves and it's unrealistic it's just like your uterus has no nothing to do with your ability to cook no the the clothing that you wear the fact that you like feminine things has nothing to do with your ability to cook even if you are really great at cooking like if you don't fucking want to like don't do it well and so Another, because obviously apparently all I do is watch Netflix, but the Miss Americana Netflix documentary on Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. you know what, like everyone has to immediately watch that. That is required reading (laughs) for this podcast. I'm definitely putting that out there. That can be your Pink Tux rebate. Cool. But she says like, I want to be able to like wear pink and talk about politics. And like, I think that, you know, that kind of resonated Mm -hmm. with me. Like you can dress feminine, you can like to do your hair and do makeup and be you know, smart and intelligent. And obviously, like, we knew all of these things, but I think 
the more people start to speak up about it in society, the more normalized it becomes. Yeah, because you need people to say it because you've got so many people saying the opposite and also small, tiny little like microaggressions or like tiny insidious things that people say, oh, I didn't mean any harm by it, but you are doing harm. You are doing harm when you take away the doll from the boy child and give it to the girl child and take the truck and give it to the boy child and and take it away from the girl child. You are doing harm when you do those kind of things and put people into boxes. Yeah, so like we can talk about the things that predominantly affect women, like our education is still devalued through the rhetoric that's present in society right now. We're still not participating as much in uh, wealth creation as men are. We're still not earning as much. Like there's workplace harassment that we're um, more likely to be subject to. There's limited diversity in leadership positions. There's limited representation. And when it is, it's just tokenism. We have to do weird safety precautions. Like Okay, so do you feel safe, like, if you, like, went for a run by yourself at night? Probably not. No, like, my husband just, like, could just go for a run. He could just walk out the door at any time, day or night, and just go for a run. And it so bothers me that he has that that privilege and I don't. It so bothers me that I'm still afraid. Or, like, you know, walking to the car. I don't know how many women do this, but, you know, if you're in a dark parkade in the evening, like, I'll grab my car key and just, like, I don't know what am I going to do with that car key. Like, it's... I'm not going to be able to do anything, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a mechanism of that we're taught or, you know, just watch your back when you're walking home, like, or just don't abduct and rape people. I don't know. These are my thoughts. Well, exactly. Right. And so I find that these things, they all kind of stem from like, well, like rape culture and, and stuff like that, where we're either men, women, whomever are programmed to be like super aggressive towards women who are not submissive and behind the scenes and who actually want to interact with um, society in a substantial meaningful way outside of just giving birth to more men. And I think though, but an interesting way to kind of look at the future of where this is going. And I think that those people that are like that are going to have to maybe have a bit of a reality check, but I've been researching some statistics recently around the wealth that women are walking into in terms of like influencing the mm-hmm. the world's wealth because of um you know generations passing along wealth and obviously women can now mm-hmm. have bank accounts and all those good yeah. things but it's going to be upwards of 20 trillion dollars yeah. so more than those offshore accounts and so I really do think from a, maybe a more positive perspective that hopefully we'll see yeah. kind of some some good changes in yeah. that. Well, and I hope we don't see it eroded because one of the things that I looked at is like when women used to inherit property, which was one of the biggest wealth creation like back in the day, right? Right. They weren't allowed to sell it. I wish they could see my face right now. Right? <laughs> so there's that. So I think these other things, so you can't really, like we've done enough work that I think you couldn't put a law like that into place where we've already won that back. But there are still countries and jurisdictions that are super oppressive and that are working in very strange ways to erode that access to inherited wealth that we're coming into um, and all that kind of stuff. So my question is, what do you think the patriarchy is so afraid of? Oh, I think they're terrified of not 
of being found out. And when I say being found out, I think I mean there are a lot of men in positions that have probably got to places because they were only competing with half the workforce. And I I, I do believe Warren Buffett, you know, has a quote about that on how mm-hmm. people have been successful with investment returns and it's simply because they aren't competing with half the workforce. I think there's a lot of badass women that would take some of those positions away from them. And when you live in a society that everything is catered towards you, to lose that is, I think, scary for a lot of people. And maybe they, mm-hmm. not, of course, I and I sound ridiculous saying this, but not all men, just so that we don't have some, you know, white dude come after us on, on Twitter or whatever. But I think it is maybe scary from that, that standpoint of, of mm-hmm. being found out that maybe you aren't the best at everything that you thought or were always told. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, I think the patriarchy has got to be protecting people in, and and not just all men, because it's not all men. Um, There's a huge section of men that are not benefiting from the patriarchy. And there's a huge section of women, though, that believe in the patriarchy, too, right? So there's... Yeah, because maybe they're closer to power, right? And they think that if they just go along with it, that they'll be safe. But you're never safe. You're never safe in the patriarchy. And I don't know. I think what would you do if you didn't have to deal with all this stuff? If you didn't have to be afraid about running at night? If you didn't have to be afraid about workplace harassment? If you didn't have to be afraid that you were only being included on a panel because of tokenism? If there were equal representation? If you saw what we could become, what would you do? I think the answer to that is the world is your oyster, right? You right? would see so many women just climb to new heights and and probably men too that don't, like you say, strongly identify with what a you know, strong white male leader is. I think mm-hmm. you would see so much more diversity of thought and we would probably solve some of the world's problems. Yeah. So I think we should find a way to get there. 100%. So bring out the pitchforks. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's my pink tax rebate. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As always, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to share your money story using the hashtag FemFinances. 